2: and t connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and in traffic so slow.
1: Welcome to the latest edition of One Hundred, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a look at COVID. We're only a few months away from marking one year of a new existence. Masks, shutdowns, deaths. In spite of losing over 400,000 people and infections into the millions, there are those who still see this pandemic as a hoax on the far end and a livable annoyance on the other, boldly and selfishly putting their beliefs and a stubborn insistence to do what they please over the possible safety of others. Sadly, one of the things that has stayed normal during this pandemic is the disproportionate number of people of color that are adversely impacted during medical emergencies. I'm joined today by Dr. Chris Purnell, a public health care physician. She is also an American College of Preventive Medicine fellow. Doctor, let me ask you something. We were just talking before we got going, and you and I were talking about the stakes are high right now. And I said to you that I don't believe people understand how serious this moment is. You'd agree?
0: I definitely agree. Look, um, we have passed more Americans dead than were dead in World War II. Um, We're coming fresh off of an insurrection in our capital, um, and we are at a pivotal moment in our nation's history. And the pandemic, and I've said this before, has highlighted um, what is festering in our root. And in order for us to keep the greatest number of people safe, protected, whole, and healthy, we all got to row in the same direction. Um, and that means there are things people can do at the individual level, but there are definitely things we can do at the systems level, whether that be state governments, uh, cities, and even the federal government. So I'm not sure we all have fully aroused to the idea that we got to fight our way out.
1: How much do you believe um, that the sense of repetition we're all getting Numbers every day, the 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 kind of drip 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 of wear your mask wear your mask is wearing on people where they've tuned it out.
0: You know, I I, I think about this often, and that's why I always ground the statistics in faces. And I always ground the statistics and stories. I mean, since the last time we spoke, I've lost two more cousins. I lost two cousins just before um, the new year. So not only have I lost a father, not only do I have a sister who's a long hauler, I lost two cousins, one who is an essential worker here in the North New Jersey area. So we have to keep telling the stories of families. We have to keep telling the stories of Americans. And, um, you know, I'm into social math And there was a recent uh, publication that said, um, I think approximately nine Americans were dying every five minutes. Um, And so it it is stunning and it is staggering, but there are things we can do to lessen the individual risk, to lessen the risk of our households, and to lessen the risk of the nation. And I think what gives us an opportunity to reset is the conversation around vaccination. And we got to take advantage of it
1: it really brings it home.
0: I think what also is resonating, I'm not saying that it's resonating completely, is that we're starting to grieve as a nation. Um, you saw the incoming administration light the, the, the candles in honor of, at that point, of roughly the 400,000 who had died. Um, and I think the fact that we haven't grieved, like we don't openly speak about all those whom we've lost, um, and the more that we can have these very transparent and honest conversations, I think that will um, shake people out of this fatigue, um, out of this stunned um, place that we are in, in, in our nation's moment in, in history.
1: Let me ask you about the rollout. At best, we can call it Rocky. Yes. Um, and, you know, no need to blame the Trump administration. We knew what they were doing for four years. Okay. So why would this be any different? Um, how optimistic are you though uh with the incoming administration?
0: Well, you know, I use the word vigilant. that's a frequent word that I use. um I am optimistic because the incoming administration has struck the right notes. And what I mean by it has struck the right notes, the incoming administration is talking about health equity, right? So the incoming administration has a racial and ethnic um, equity task force that's going to focus on the disparate outcomes experienced by Black and brown groups. Um, There are noted uh, health equity physicians and scholars who, who are a part of the work, but that optimism has to be matched with vigilance because we need more than dialogue and we actually need more than progress because when we were suffering quite badly at our federal response progress is comparative we need transformation and as a part of that transformation we need um, an aggressive logistical operation to get vaccines distributed to states and to give states the support whether it's the personnel and the resource support or the funding support to be able to raise these very sophisticated large scale operations, we need to go block by block. We need community health workers in those hardest hit places so that you can have those one-on-one interactions where you're more likely to um, change or influence the decision journey.
1: Give me a, a, a sense of what you just said that sparked me. And I think you're absolutely right when you talk about health equity, because my fear is that we'll get so caught up in COVID, we'll forget that the inequity that Black people have lived through for, since we arrived on these shores, were brought to these shores, has been part and parcel of the problem of any health issue we face.
0: Look, bottom line, um, I say this and I'll say it again, We are battling an unprecedented public health crisis. That's a fast pandemic, but we've been battling systemic racism since our root, since our founding. And so any crisis that this nation faces, those historically excluded communities like Blacks and African-Americans, like um, the Native and Indigenous population, like Latinos and Hispanics, we are going to experience those crises at even more destructive and devastating levels. So while we talk about vaccines and vaccines vaccinations in one hand, we also got to talk about um, economic empowerment, we have to talk about jobs with living wages, Um, we have to talk about jobs with access to income protections, because a lot of these essential or frontline workers were in positions where they could not afford to a stop work, or they didn't—they weren't offered working from home. So you're not going to solve coronavirus by just solving the medical or the public health or the clinical issues. You're—you must dig deeper and think about. You know, where do those groups live? Um, Do they live in substandard housing? We know that housing um, is fueling uh, the current surges that we're seeing in the pandemic, meaning crowded, cramped housing where people can't properly quarantine or isolated at home in the mixing of housing. So if you're not gonna talk about housing, if you're not gonna talk about um, income disparity, if you're not gonna talk about access to care, which are bedrock issues we were dealing with before that first laboratory confirmed diagnosis, to the coronavirus, you're not going to
1: solve coronavirus. Let, let's talk about the skepticism that continues to, quite frankly, um, revolve around our community. Uh, it was interesting to see the passing of Hank Aaron mm-hmm. uh, and how quickly uh, many, some, came out to wonder whether or not because he had taken the the uh, vaccine, whether that hastened his his death. Um, Where are you uh, on the stance of making sure that people understand that if if we are to believe science, which we say we want to do, you should believe the numbers and, you know, uh, this vaccine has proved itself to this point to be relatively safe. What do you tell folks who are still skeptical?
0: You know, I try to have this conversation in the most nuanced way I can. And usually that's by starting with validating fears and concerns. Um, We can't have public shaming. We can't have shaming of communities and we can't have shaming of individuals who aren't yet able to say, I believe this is the right choice for me. Where I draw the line is those who purposefully um, disseminate uh, disinformation, right? I draw the line there. I, I don't think we can go easy on those folks because lives are at stake. But for those of us who know the sordid past, for those of us who know the history of medical exploitation and experimentation, um, and for those of us who know the lingering healthcare disparities that Black and Browns face, um, we got to say, I hear you and you have right to have concern. But let me have a conversation with you about how these Um, data sets are accurate or how the safety was verified or how the effectiveness was verified. And we can't promise any more than what the science can tell us conclusively. People have been lied to for too long. Um, And that's why skepticism has gone through the roof. Um, We went through a time where we weren't sure if our public institutions and our our federal actors, whether or not they were giving us the the most accurate information about the pandemic. So when I'm talking about it, I say, look, we got two tools in our toolbox out right now, one from Pfizer, one from Moderna, Um, science has shown both to be conclusively effective and effective across all racial and ethnic groups, effective across all ages, and effective across people with all chronic health conditions, right? So emphasize what the science is saying and then meet the indecision with empathy. And in meeting the indecision with empathy, I tell people I never use the C word, convince. I don't want to convince you. I want to have a conversation. And in having that conversation, I've had people circle back with me, Ed, and they're like, "You know, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm I'm weighing my options when." And this is what I didn't appreciate about that great heroic legendary soul in Henry Aaron when he died, and people started to latch on to that and say, "Was it because of the vaccination?" There is no scientific data that suggests anything of a sort. And we're robbing his agency and his choice to get vaccinated in a, in a way that he can't come back and articulate for himself. Um, I, I want to normalize side effects. I want people to understand the difference between side effects and adverse events or outcomes. And it's that level of nuance and honesty and transparency that you have with folks, they begin to understand. But you got to put in the work. you got to demonstrate trustworthiness first before someone trusts.
1: Yeah, people just ran rampant with it. I mean, you know, the the autopsy hadn't even come in and people were just throwing that about. And that, you know, is something that we've got to be careful about. Are you satisfied with the outreach um, that you've seen for the African-American community?
0: You know, there has definitely been an aggressive push. Um, There has definitely been a mobilization of influencers in community. Um, What I want to make sure is happening, that we have enough grassroots voices, that we have people that folks know, Um, because at the end of the day, it's going to be the pastor down the street, Um, it's going to be your own personal physician or provider, in addition to uplifting the Dr. Kismikia Corbett that had a role in in, um, designing the Moderna vaccine or uplifting the voices of those of us who are Black public health physicians, um, groups like the National Medical Association, those are all important, but we got to make sure we're getting information in the hands of grassroots leaders. And as we get the information in the hands of grassroots leaders, then you're going to have not just those massive conversations, but those one-on-one conversations. And like a woman told me the other day, I was speaking with um, one of the unionized healthcare workers in New York um, through a virtual opportunity. And she said, you know, doc, I heard what you said to me. And I started to say, maybe this is the right choice for me. She said, but the best advice you gave me is to go back to my doctor and tell my doctor what I heard and to ask additional questions. And she said, that's still the deal for me. So, I was able to introduce um, a decision or introduce the risks versus the benefits, but it was her personal doctor who had that one-on-one relationship and that, r- that rapport with her that was able to say, hey, this is the right choice, shared decision-making. So that's what we got to do more. Yeah, I
1: think you're right. Whether it be politics or in this case, um, health, you know, I, I think people assume if you get a celebrity to tell black folks something, that's enough. And that's fine. and and America loves celebrity, but I think you're right. It's the people that touch you every day. Yes. That really influence you far more than stars. Yeah. When we return, Dr. Purnell tells us how COVID continues to ravage people of color, the best ways to stay safe, and how the pandemic has hit her personally. As is the case, normally, the underserved are often hit harder. People of color are bearing the brunt of the coronavirus. The Biden administration is putting special emphasis on communities of color, but the challenge to catch up is daunting. In some areas, whites are receiving the vaccine at a rate of three to four times higher than people of color. Along with that, the medical community is also facing variants. That make the task of controlling this virus even more challenging. What about this new variant or new variants that we we're hearing about? Um, here's my concern. Uh, I hear your community suggest that this vaccine uh, is good enough to take it on, but we really don't know that yet.
0: We don't. We don't know that definitively. So let's talk about what we know. And I just had this conversation too. So if the if the choice were Not to be vaccinated um, versus to be vaccinated against a variant that you don't know whether the vaccine will be as effective as it has been against, let's say, what the the baseline um, coronavirus has been, then I think that's still a choice you want to make in the direction of vaccination. Because what we do know about the UK variant is that preliminary studies, and we don't do enough of this in the US, we have to do more surveillance. We have to do more genomic sequencing of those who have coronavirus infections. What we know about that UK variant is that it is more infectious. So it transmits more easily. Um, There was some data that came out over the weekend um, suggestive that it could could potentially be more deadly. I can't say that conclusively yet. Um, the South uh, South African variant, um, both the South African variant and the UK variant, uh, Moderna and Pfizer have begun to test, in small numbers, but Moderna and Pfizer have begun to test if their vaccines are as effective. I can't tell you today that their vaccines are 95% effective, but I can tell you it confers a level of immunity. So if you as a lay person in the public were thinking, do I go it totally alone with no vaccine, know that you could potentially be exposed to a variant that is definitely more easily transmitted and questionably maybe more lethal Mm -hmm. um, versus having access to a vaccine that is um, 95% effective or 94.1% uh, effective at preventing baseline coronavirus infections and some, um, some measure of that level of effectiveness of, previ- of preventing coronavirus infections and illness with these more serious vi- uh, variants. That's how people have to consider
1: it. To a great degree. I mean, it really is about being as smart as you can be, right? I yes. mean, isn't that the bottom line for, for lay people?
0: Yes, it's, 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 you know, (laughs) it's being as smart and vigilant as you can be. I'm going to use that word again, because I don't want people to relax the vaccine. The vaccines, um, a lot of public health physicians will say this, vaccines don't save lives, vaccinations do, right? So it's an actual dose administered that saves someone's life. But even more so beyond that, we got to make sure we continue with the universal masking. We have to make sure we continue with physical distancing, and we have to make sure we continue with the frequent hand washing because those are the measures in addition to being vaccinated that are going to give us the greatest level of protection. And I want people to understand that that's the level of smarts I'm talking about. That's the level of vigilance. I don't want people to take any level of unnecessary risk. And bottom line, that's how I I explain it, unnecessary risk. You don't have to take that risk. You don't have to shoulder that burden. And if you're Black or Latino, um, you know, we are dying at at least 1.5 to even two um, times more than white Americans are dying. Um, We have um, hospitalization rates that can be upwards of three times, four times, and five times more um, than white Americans. We have case infection rates um, that can be on an order of one to two times more if you're black and brown. So you already bear a disproportionate risk. Um, so And that's rooted in systemic racism. That's not rooted in your biology. That's rooted in systemic racism. So I wanna make sure our community understands that at baseline, you have higher risk than someone else. So. The choice whether or not to, to vaccinate is a different equation. What
1: different can we do in the short term? I mean, we're not going to eliminate, Lord knows if we could, we would have done it a long time ago, systemic racism during this pandemic, right? So uh, I was looking at numbers today before we started talking. You know, Kaiser Health News said that um, Black Americans getting the vaccine dramatically lower. Dramatic. Three three times higher for whites to get it than than blacks. 92% of the healthcare workers who've died in Los Angeles are people of color. Yes. Um, And when you think about those numbers, if you think about who's supposed to be getting it, it shouldn't be that high because nurses, um, people who work in uh, the cafes and the hospitals, um, oh, service mm-hmm. and the like, these are people of color. And oftentimes in urban areas, um, say somewhere like, like Los Angeles, they're Black folks. Mm-hmm. So what can we do in the short term to make sure that we make enough noise that our folks are re- those who want the vaccine, that they can get it?
0: We can't operate on, off of this assumption that they will be more skeptical so we don't make the effort to educate and inform. I'm really, I'm really, really, really focused on that. Um, I've had conversations multiple, multiple times through even at my own hospital to make sure all frontline workers understand, yes, I'm talking about you, you are frontline worker, you the housekeeper, you're frontline worker, you you're the cashier um, in the cafeteria, you're frontline worker, you the information desk clerk, you the patient relations rep. And there has to be concerted efforts to get in front of people. There have been studies that have shown when Black physicians have these conversations, that patients listen from a different place, right? Because there is a a sense that there is someone across the table who recognizes your humanity, um, who, who sees the value in your life. So we have to make sure we get in front of those workers and say, this opportunity is open and available to you. We have to make sure we answer the questions of those frontline workers. And three, we have to make sure, and let's just broaden it because now we're into you know 1B right so we're talking about people 65 and older and then we're talking about people um, anywhere between 16 to 64 in certain states who now have access to the vaccine if you have a chronic health condition we have to make sure that those communities get the brunt of the messaging and when I say the brunt of the messaging that we do multiple rounds and that we partner with others in those communities to make the information as digestible as literate as it, as it possibly can be. Because if we rest on the assumption oh, the Blacks and Browns don't want to get the vaccination, that in of itself perpetuates the inequity. Mm-hmm. Usually when I have had a conversation with people and we don't operate under the assumption, sure there are concerns and fears, but those people have just as much agency as anyone else and they're able to understand the science when you describe it in a way that's um, meaningful. And so that's what I don't want to see happen. I don't want us to operate off of assumption. Actually, I want us to double down.
1: In terms of just some baseline recommendations, let's go over those again so people can say, okay, this is what I need to, at baseline, this is what I need to be doing.
0: At baseline, you need to wear your mask. You need to wear your mask properly. Um, I could not emphasize that more. At baseline, don't mix households. Um, at baseline, avoid, avoid crowded and cramped indoor spaces. At baseline, wash your hands frequently. And at baseline, I'm encouraging people to get vaccinated. Um, and when I say I'm encouraging people, um, if you're not yet bearing your decision, do know these fa- facts, that the vaccines are are over 94% effective, um, that the safety profile um, is definitely demonstrated from the clinical research and has been demonstrated throughout the millions of Americans, about roughly um, 18.5 million Americans have received either the first or or second dose, Uh, above 3 million have received both doses And we're tracking those people right side effects are routine it means the vaccine is working most folks get pain in their arm most folks get tired most folks get joint pain or muscle aches um a few folks um get fever um but most folks recover in 24 to 48 hours i have to tell people that because when you hear about oh did someone so get side effects that was routine. That was normal. That's different from someone having an allergic reaction. And if we look at the data around that, severe allergic reactions, which, you, which we describe as anaphylaxis, meaning your throat is closing and you feel like, you know, you can't breathe. That's happening about 11 cases per one, 1 million doses. That's very, very rare. Um, and so that's all of what I need people to know in order to stay safe. All of that in a stream. Wear your mask. Wash your hands physical distance, and get, get the vaccine. And if, you can, if you're not ready to get the vaccine, then know the difference between being unvaccinated and what type of risk that you're, um, that you're susceptible to.
1: The battle has been personal for Dr. Purnell. Her father and two cousins have succumbed to the virus, and her sister battled it, and is what is deemed a long hauler with lingering after effects that continue to impact her health. Give me a sense of what this is, has done for you. It's it. I feel for those who are truly on the front line because I'm, I'm sure there are days that it just is overwhelming.
0: No, definitely. I, I tell people, you know, back in March and April, um, the epicenter of the pandemic was very much New York and New Jersey, right? Um, but the epicenter personally landed on me. <laughs> um, it was inescapable. Um, I lost my father at a time where we... Ooh, we knew comparatively less than what we know now. Um, it was almost the fog of war. Um, my dad died in a hospital a mere four miles away from the hospital where I work. And I don't do direct patient care, but I do population-based care. So I'm looking at groups of clinical populations and how do we, how do we keep them healthy and very interact with the community before the pandemic struck. But I could tell you in our hospital, nearly every hospital bed was filled with a black or brown person. Um, I can tell you we lost staff at our hospital. Um, a lot of our frontline workers were black brown who, whose lives were lost um, and so with all of that you didn't have time to grieve there wasn't space to grieve you had to keep moving Mm -hmm. because you had to help an organization stay afloat. Um, You had to help patients and families stay afloat and you and your family had to find a way to stay afloat. Right? So it was a very surreal time. Um, You know, we had always imagined my father, his father, um, the late uh, apostle Bishop John W. Purnell built churches all throughout the South. We always imagined we would take my dad. He had written out his funeral. He's going to go back to his father's church in Richmond, Virginia. um, And he's going to have this, this, you know, very beautiful and, and, and lovely service, but we couldn't do any of that. And that's where it's talking about we we're just beginning to grieve as a nation. Um, families couldn't do that, but we didn't even do that as a nation. And so I think people need to understand that this thing sticks with you. It sticks with you far longer than the acute phase or the acute shock of losing a loved one because you've never properly had the closure that you otherwise would have been able to. And then with my sister, You know, she's a long hauler and, you know, studies have shown out of China, 75% of people hospitalized are left with some long-term side effect or some long-term health condition. My sister is progressively better, but she hasn't gone back to work. It's 10 months. And um, I want people to understand that sense of you got to be willing to fight every day to to get back to a baseline and then to think my family has experienced enough. I lose two cousins right before the new year, one who was a postal worker in Newark, New Jersey, um, got sick um, not too long before Thanksgiving and had a catastrophic stroke as a result of a coronavirus infection and was gone. Um, And another cousin who got sick, was hospitalized in ICU, thought "Mm, maybe he'll stabilize, but then was gone. And so you can't let your guard down. You can't let your guard down because families have been bit and stung usually more than once. Yeah. I have a friend, in a colleague, who lost two parents. This is real. Mm-hmm.
1: This is very real. But if you would just before we go, though, I'm I'm curious for you, maybe a little personal, but I'll try it anyway. What was the hardest day or night for you like? Literally, when you when you got home and you closed the door, what what did you experience
0: when? You're not sure where to put the dead bodies because the morgue is overflowing. The morgue is overflowing. That's surreal. And you have refrigerated trucks outside of your hospital. And the call is made to you as the administrator on call. What am I supposed to do? I don't have any more room for the dead bodies. We were in a war. We are still in a war and having to work through that, literally, I ran from my job into my car, trying to make it to my father's hospital before he passed. So dealing with those issues in one place while still trying to deal with a personal issue, there are so many stories like that of our frontline nurses our frontline doctors, families, it, it, it was literally combat trying to keep the greatest amount of people alive, having to entertain, and thankfully at our hospital, we never had to entertain rationing, but you definitely had to consider it. And you had to go through an allocation um, framework or protocol. What would you do if resources got so scarce? Who would you give a ventilator to? I definitely had to have those considerations, although we were not at the point where we had to enact it. So those are the things that um, I'll never forget. Hmm.
1: Well, Dr. Pinnell, I, I've said this to you before. I I so appreciate when you come on with me. I hate that it is for this reason, but I appreciate all that you have done in the clarion call and the bells that you ring and, and so very vital. So thank you once again
0: for being Thank you for having me.
1: battle is real. Don't take COVID lightly. I know most won't do everything right and adhere to every single rule, but be as cautious as you can and weigh all of your decisions. In the coming weeks, we'll put a face or more appropriately for a podcast, a voice to the pandemic, as we'll devote a show to those who've stared down COVID and come out on the other side. And we'll talk with those whose family members didn't overcome it please stay safe next week actor and activist Dondre whitfield joins me to explore the definition of manhood and why we have to know the difference between man and male 100 is produced by ed gordon media and distributed by iheart media carol johnson green and sheree weldon are our bookers our editor is lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought
0: Zumo play.
3: Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh?
0: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A
4: wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing.
2: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in.
3: Ah, ski slopes. Let's
2: do it. Um, a girl goes shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait!